May the peace of the Lord be with you. You would think that by the time the Pharisees have gotten all the way to the 21st chapter of the Gospel according to Matthew, that they would have learned they need to be extra careful when verbally sparring with Jesus. But not yet. Here in chapter 21, Jesus lays out rhetorical trap after rhetorical trap. And if you were anything like me, and when you read, you hear background music and sound effects, you can almost hear the music sounding as the traps go off right on cue. Jesus comes to the temple. The music stops as he surveys the scene. And suddenly there is a dark crescendo as he leaps into action, turning over tables and chairs and driving people out of the temple. It is in response to this act that the Pharisees question Jesus about his authority to act in such a manner. If the Gospel of Matthew is an accurate account, Jesus responds with a question and a series of parables, the second of which is our Gospel lesson today, the parable of the wicked tenants. The commercial practice of a landowner renting his land to tenants in exchange for a portion of the crop would have been common. And it would have been just as common for there to be a dispute about rent. The Pharisees must have thought that for once they were tracking with Jesus. And then, as Jesus lays his trap, the music subtly changes. We notice this change, as subtle as it is, but the Pharisees miss it. Jesus asks them, what will happen when the landowner returns? Trap set. The Pharisees, just like you and I might, try to imagine themselves in the parable. Just like you do, they would have remembered Isaiah 5, that there is a vineyard carefully prepared, complete with choice vines and a watchtower and a wine press. They would have recognized and remembered that in Isaiah 5, the vineyard is the people of God. Because Jesus was careful to lay on this illusion about the vineyard pretty thickly, they could have been relatively confident that they were not the vineyard. They must have been thinking, are we the landowner? Are we the tenants or are we the messengers? When Jesus asks the Pharisees, what will the landowner do to the tenants? It seems clear that they have made their choice. The Pharisees understand themselves to be the landowners. The Pharisees, after all, are the ones who are the leaders of the Jews, the people of God. So if the vineyard is the people of God, it makes sense that the Pharisees the ones who are the leaders of the people of God, the ones with the keys to the temple, with offices and fancy robes and stoles, 
they must be the landowner. So they seize the opportunity. They come down strong with the type of retribution that would be expected from a landowner. Their implication, of course, then, is that Jesus is the wicked tenant. It is Jesus who has driven people out of the temple. It is Jesus who has destroyed the livelihoods of these people, damaged their property, and caused merchandise to be lost. Surely, Jesus is the wicked tenant. The Pharisees respond to Jesus' question, the landowner will put those wretches to a miserable death and lease the vineyard to other tenants who will give him the produce at the harvest time. And right on cue, the music in the background gives way for a loud and emphatic clash of the cymbals. Jesus flips the parable on the Pharisees. They fell for his allusion to Isaiah 5. They misidentified themselves in the parable. When they fall for this trap, Jesus directs them to another familiar scripture, Psalm 118. The stone that the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. You can almost see the realization starting to come over their faces. Reminiscent of when Nathan stood before King David after David proclaims judgment to a hypothetical scenario. And Nathan points to David and says, you are the man. Jesus affirms their answer, just like Nathan did, but he directs the force of the parable and their answer back at them. The kingdom of God will be taken from you and given to a people that produces the fruits of the kingdom. Through the fog of realization that they have been trapped, Jesus steps back into the parable. Remember, the vineyard is the people of God. The kingdom of God will be taken from you and given to a people that produce the the fruits of the kingdom. In the parable, the fruits that the vineyard has produced, the fruits that are returned to the landowner, are oppression, death, and deceit. These are not the fruits the landowner was hoping to get in payment for leasing his property. We are left imagining what people might inherit the kingdom, what people might inherit the vineyard. I have a confession to make. Whenever I read about Jesus trapping the Pharisees, I want to cheer him on. I read these parables as though Jesus were a great underdog and the Pharisees, the religious elite, are the people that he's fighting against. And so I cheer. And every time that happens, at some point I pause and hear the music in the background and remember that I, as a pastor, resemble the Pharisees more closely than I would like to admit And it's usually only after I have started cheering Jesus and jeering the Pharisees that I realize just a little too late that the music has stopped 
and a cymbal is about to crash as I have stepped right into the trap set by the author of the Gospel of Matthew. This trap set for me. I feel the snap and I try not to get angry like the Pharisees. Yes, Jesus traps me in this parable too. I don't mean that I have knowingly engaged in reaping the fruits of oppression, death, and deceit. But I do wonder what kinds of fruits I am producing and if it is the fruit of the kingdom. Here in this vineyard at Northminster Baptist Church, we have many tenants. We have pastors and deacons. You probably got a letter a couple of weeks ago about committees. We have Sunday school teachers, nursery workers, youth leaders, atrium facilitators, ushers, and musicians, all tenants of this vineyard. This vineyard entrusted to our care to produce the fruit of the kingdom. And just in case any of you are feeling left out, on the last page of your bulletin, there are four words that are, have a profound influence how we go about caring for this vineyard of faith. Every member a minister, all of us, each one of us who call this place home, we are all charged with tending this vineyard and producing the fruits of the kingdom. I wonder if we can press this fruit analogy just a little bit further. Have you ever been to a farm where you get to pick the fruit? These farms are especially fun with fruit-loving small children, so long as you remember a change of clothing. Sometimes, when adventuring to these farms, the amateur fruit picker will pick some bad fruit. It might be unripe, it might be overripe, it might have had a bug crawl inside the fruit and ruin it. It's not that all the fruit on the farm is bad, it's not even that all the fruit on the one plant is bad. The plants don't get to choose which fruit you pick. If we are to be the tenants of the vineyard of God, if we are to be the vineyard of God, we must reckon with the truth that we are always producing fruit of some kind. That fruit may be the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. There are also days that might be none of these things. Of course, we are all doing our best to stay away from producing the fruits of oppression, death, and deceit. But we still don't get to decide how the fruit we produce will be perceived. No more than I get to decide how or what you will take from this sermon do you get to decide how people will interpret the words you speak to them or the actions that you do. So what do we do? How can we be good tenants? How can we produce the fruits of the kingdom? 
Todd Bolsinger, vice president of Fuller Theological Seminary in California, suggests that churches and organizations must rely on having a focused, shared, and missional purpose against which to measure all decisions. Well, Jesus gave us more than a few of those ideas. Jesus says that all of the commandments that we read in Exodus this morning hang on just two commandments. To love God with all that is in you and to love your neighbor like you love yourself. If we are living a life with these two ideas as our mission, then I think we will be producing the fruit of the kingdom. Certainly it will be better fruit than if we try to hoard it all for ourselves, like the wicked tenants in the parable. And certainly it will be better than if we sit back and laugh at the Pharisees for having gotten caught in another of Jesus' traps. Yes, as we sit here today, trapped by Jesus' parable, considering how we might be a people that produces the fruits of the kingdom, let's commit to wrapping our minds around how we can better live into those ideas. Let's depend on the Holy Spirit to interpret the memory of each day through the lens of loving God and loving neighbor. Let's imagine anew what opportunities lie ahead for us in each new day. What fruits might we produce if we imagined how we might love God and neighbor at work? What fruits might we produce if we imagined how we might love God and neighbor when we make purchases? What fruits might we produce if we imagined how we might love God and neighbor when we are in conflict? when someone interprets actions or events differently than we do, when we post on social media, when we are in public or when we are in private, when I, everyone's eyes are on us and when no one's eyes are on us. What fruits might we produce? The kingdom of God will be given to a people that produces the fruits of the kingdom. Amen. One of the practices that ties us together and helps us as we strive to produce the fruits of the kingdom, is to gather around this table and share in a meal the communion of our Lord. 